Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Miss Susan Weed, reminding you that herbals medicine is people's medicine. Kind of goes right out your backyard, and we'll be right back. Join us. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Friends I mentioned about you before that our local 
metaphysical store, little witchy store, had closed down, has now is now reopened. I didn't even know they were that aggressively pursuing it, but they found a nice new location, still right in town, and they've reopened. So that's that's kind of good news. I just that made me happy, and, and I was riding my bike, the <laughs> autumn air, the October air. I just I just love it. <laughs> I just glanced through this week's Time magazine, but I noticed in the back there was a, an article from uh, from a woman who, you know, was saying, oh, here it is, October again. And I, I realized what it is about October. It said, I want to be a witch. <laughs> and I think that the, I didn't read the article. I think it was probably rather tongue-in-cheek and, and maybe even facetious and perhaps, perhaps even putting down of witches. But I thought, <clears throat> nonetheless, she has identified something that many women might feel this month, and that is, I want to be a witch. Because a witch, after all, is just the European word for shaman. Right. Shaman means woman with drum. And the witch, of course, is the European version of the shaman. And here she is. I had a, a lot of new periodicals come into the house today. And it really struck me that even though that they they were theoretically about different things, um, they seem to have such saying so much the same thing. We have the men's health advisor saying, "Eat smart to lower cancer risk." Environmental nutrition headline says, "Eat well to age well." Tufts Health Letter says, eat to protect your brain. And new dietary approach against Alzheimer's. The Weill Cornell Medical College newsletter says, eat the right fat. University of California Berkeley Wellness Letter says, protein coming on strong. And the Women's Nutrition Connection says key nutrients for women over 60. So it seems the word has gotten out that food is medicine and medicine is food. Speaking of which, the single food that the most people damn themselves the most for consuming, we find that a Harvard study, based on 16 years of data for more than a quarter of a million adults, found that those who drink two to four cups of coffee a day have their suicide risk. So don't put put yourself down for drinking that coffee or for feeling warm and cozy and good and solid in your life when you do, because we can see the results. It really isn't a lie. You do feel better when you're drinking it if you drink coffee. I don't. I've never liked the taste of it. I drink nourishing herbal infusion. And people have said that they were able to move from coffee to nourishing herbal infusion. And I suspect that if we actually ran a study, we would find that people who drink nourishing herbal infusion are probably, you know, even reduce their suicide risk by more. But don't put yourself down if you're drinking coffee. It has a lot of great health benefits. And I also found this highly amusing. Within the next 10 to 20 years, there will be a pill 
that can reliably simulate some of the major benefits of exercise, including better muscle strength and more. In fact, there are eight different drugs that are now being developed with the hope of giving the effects of exercise through molecular pathway. They include hormonal drugs, phytochemicals, in other words, that's chemicals found in plants, and pharmacological things as well, especially pharmacological agnes, which means things that fight against certain things in the body. How many molecular changes occur in the muscle when we exercise? Over a thousand. Over a thousand different enzymatic molecular changes occur in muscles when we exercise, and that's saying nothing about what's happening in the rest of the body, and that's just 10 minutes of exercise. Let's face it, a pill could never really mimic those. And along that line, a recent study just found out that the people who benefit the most from exercise are those who go from doing none to doing any. So if you're among the nuns, know that your greatest benefit is going to come from doing any exercise at all. You don't need to go out there and run a marathon. Anything at all, even getting a dog and walking the dog, is going to give those who are the most sedate a really great shift, both in their cognitive ability, their emotional joy in life, and their feeling good in their body. And remember that we find that people who exercise, even walking outside, have more emotional benefit than those who exercise inside. But perhaps the real topic of the season is darkness and death, eh? We left uh, our trees of the 13 moons with elder, which is the tree uh, of death. And I have uh, sitting in front of me a picture of a skull that I took from a catalog. The skull of a ram with the horns attached. Quite attractive and very much like the skulls of some of my prior goats that we have carefully preserved and kept because they remind us of being with them. We're coming to the end of October. It's said that all the fairies go back in the mound at the end of October and the gate to fairyland closes. And that's it until May Day, because, believe it or not, this is actually officially the end of autumn and the beginning of winter, the true beginning of the darkness. And six weeks into that, from the beginning of November to the middle of December to December 25th, that six-week mark, we get to the longest night, and then it turns around. And so we celebrate the light. So we have the upcoming six weeks from the end of October into the holiday season around the 20s in December to really cherish and value and make use of the dark. I just... um, came home from northern British Columbia, from the Caribou, 
as it's called there. And there was um, a little home observatory that I got to spend time in. Very, very wonderful, especially for me, because it reconnected me to myself um, just at the cusp of my puberty when I was 11, 12, and 13. I just got so interested in astronomy. And my parents, bless them, were incredibly supportive of me. They bought me a telescope when I wanted to carry my telescope scope off to summer camp with me. They let me do that and helped me do that. And uh, here was this man my age now who was kind of living out my childhood fantasy of being the backyard astronomer. And he was talking about the knowing that the moon is a real thing out there and what happens when you look at it through a telescope and actually see how old it is. And the kind of mind-altering that occurs when we open ourselves to that experience, it's one thing to say, yes, Earth is one of the planets that goes around the sun, and even to look at a chart of the solar system, but to actually look out there at the morning star and resolve it in your telescope as Venus, to actually see the moons of Saturn or Neptune going across the face of the planet and then around behind them to really, with your own senses, see and know that we are on a ball spinning through space. Spinning through space around a star that had a genesis and a life and will die. And we looked through the telescope and we saw a ring nebula. And we saw... We saw how vast and amazing and ever-changing everything is around us. And I, and I, rem- I remember it really as like my first psychedelic experience. I wouldn't have remembered it if I hadn't had that opportunity this weekend to, to be in this observatory with the, the people there for our workshop. And to hear him talk about, well, I can show you these things, but they they don't have as much meaning until you really know what they are and what's going on and develop a relationship with him. And I really like that. I like that that sense that he brought to the stars um, that to me is so like um, what I want people to bring to the plants that it's about a relationship to the plant. It's not just about knowing the names of the constellation or knowing the names of the stars or or having the best telescope. It's about really having a relationship with the place where we live. And the place where we live is the Earth, the blue planet, on a tilted axis, said to be required by E.O. Wilson for life. No life on a balanced planet, he says. No life. On a planet with the axis going up and down, we need dynamic disequilibrium for life to really take hold. And that means part of the year in the dark 
and part of the year in the light. And I, I hear from people that as we move into the dark, they have a problem with it. That the dark comes to them as, as a kind of sadness. And I think about the sadness that I feel about death. And how righteous it is for us to feel sadness in the dark time. To feel the sadness at the change. The ever-changing change when so many of us would like to just stop it and say, no, let it be this way. And I'm reminded of Donna Hens, who taught here at the Wise Woman Center some years ago. And her workshop was about the deep and nourishing dark. And she reminded us that seeds don't grow if they're exposed to light. They need to be in the dark under the soil in order to grow. And that our babies don't grow in the light. They need to be in a belly, dark and protected to grow. And that the dark serves as that soil, as that womb, as that deep nourishment that allows things that are below the level of direct consciousness to begin to bubble up. You know, I mentioned E.O. Wilson, and he's considered to be as much a genius as Einstein, perhaps more. And we think about these people who are labeled geniuses, and and we think of ourselves as, as almost being a different race from them, certainly a different kind of person, because they they are so genius. And yet they themselves have have said, no, you know, we are all genius in a certain way, because we all have the ability to really be present here. And that's, in a way, what genius is. is not longing to be somewhere else or trying to be someone else or trying to ignore what's going on, but someone who is truly here and present and available. As I mentioned, I was in British Columbia, and my very first apprentice lives there. As a matter of fact, um, I was teaching over at Omega here in Rhinebeck quite some number of years ago. And this number one apprentice walked up to me and told me that she was going to come and apprentice with me. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't, do you have an apprenticeship program? Do you want this? She simply walked up to me and told me this is what was going to to happen and then gave me a choice of dates. And so uh, she was apprentice number one. Her intention for most of the time that she apprenticed here was not just to learn about herbs, but also to make a spell 
for a child to come to her. Oh. It, yeah, it was always interesting to me that this was what was really important to her was to have this child. And she did indeed, and the child is um, severely Down syndrome as well as being autistic. And we were talking about um, her child and what it was like to be the mother of this child for 19 years, who has a physical age of 19 and a mental age of about two or three. And she said something that was so stunning and stirring to me. She said that her child demands of her only her presence. And that if she's with her child and she's distracted, then her child starts, quote, unquote, acting up, acting out. And she has learned, rather than to view these behaviors as disruptive behaviors, to view these behaviors as behaviors that signal that she needs to change, rather than to trying to force her child to change. It was just, I mean, the beauty of her willingness to let her son be so clear with her. She told me with some sadness that Denmark, through a vigorous program of amniotic testing and medical abortion, has brought their Down syndrome rate to zero. Wow. She says she feels like Down syndrome children might be an endangered species. Do you know any Down syndrome children or people? Well, yeah, I work in in, in the public, and um, I don't always know what the syndrome is, but I can kind of tell what it looks like. Uh, And some of them, I think, can be quite... um, they want your attention, like you said. They're affectionate. They want your attention. Um, there's one kid that comes in. He's very cute. He comes into the store, and he always wants to give me. A, he always puts his hand out for a handshake. <laughs> it's like the first thing he does. <laughs> and but uh, um, yeah, we see lots of special needs kids come in and out of the store. As far as personal experience in the family, no, we haven't. I haven't had that. Other sorts of mental issues, yeah, but specifically that, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, often the Down syndrome child will, will have a very round face. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the Down syndrome children that I have known have been extraordinarily loving. Right. Very affectionate. In fact, there was a guy that the kid went up, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and the kid's, his mother is just a, such a patient woman, and the kid goes up and touches this guy because he wanted his attention. And when he comes into the store, I guess he just it activates something in him. And the guy was like, what are you doing? Don't touch me. <laughs> kind of harshly. Then he turned around to the special needs kid. And then the kid got scared. And he stopped. He paused. 
But then he put his hand back out for that handshake he wanted. <laughs> no, I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that's great that he <clears throat> that he was able to, you know, say, okay, you know, I, I hear I startled you, but, hey, let's shake hands, huh? Yeah, and he was like, because that's what he likes to do. He always wants to come up and give you the handshake. If you don't want to do it, he taps back and he wants to give you the handshake. <laughs> uh, and um, this apprentice's son, I always, you know, my primary memory of him is that in his presence, um, if he feels that you need something, he will indicate to you to lie down and he will do a healing on you. He doesn't speak. She says, well, it's not exactly true to say he doesn't speak. She says he does speak, but someone in the manner of a dolphin or a whale. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that is easy to interpret, but it's but it's a way to know that he in, intends you healing, and you lay down, and he has such a remarkable energy that emanates from his hands and from his presence and from his attention. And then when I thought about her saying, yes, you know, all that her child demands of her is that she be completely present. And I thought, yes, and, and that's that's what her child offers as a healing, is to be completely present with me or with you or with whoever this child is with. She, of course, was advised at the hospital to leave the child behind Mm. when she had the child. And she refused and brought the child home and gave the child such a beautifully enriched environment in which there was, you know how people will often hang a little mobile above their baby's cradle, right? Mm. Well, she not only did that, but she changed the mobile every day. And well, it was not just colorful. It would often have flashing lights. Uh, and the walls all around her child's crib were covered in beautiful pictures of nature. And she went out with her child into nature. In fact, one time when her child was, was quite ill choosing to go swimming with the dolphins with her child rather than to hospitalize her child. She's being told that her child would die, and she said, well, if my child's going to die, then we need to go swim with the dolphins before he dies. So we come to the dark. We come to All Saints Day, All Souls Day, Halloween Day, the bewitching day. We come to the deep and nourishing dark. What will we, each of us, bring into the deep and nourishing dark this time? We have six weeks. Six weeks to sleep on it. Six weeks to brood on it. Six weeks to keep it secret. Six weeks to take it in to the dark hole from which everything comes and into which everything goes. Do we dare to let ourselves go 
for that period of time to sink into the deepness of our own beings. One of the most magical places that I've been is a cave in Germany called the Bear Cave. And it's said that this cave has been inhabited for over 30,000 years. Not recently, of course. And you have to to skinny and you, you're standing, but you have to turn sideways and ooch in quite a long passage to get into the first part of the cave which is fairly big, certainly big enough for, for a small fire and a, a band of people. And then there's another passageway, even a bit narrower, but which one can squeeze through, again, standing. And there at the end of that passageway is a very small cave. And this place is called the Bear Cave, because the bear would go in, spend a little time in the large cave, and then crawl through into the small cave to hibernate. And the people, too would then, after the bear was sound asleep, come into the large cave, and there, for most of the winter, they would sleep. Does the winter make us sad because we long to have that time to dream deeply, to close our eyes and to go within, and not to have to push ourselves to be in the light and in the bright and in the knowing? Is that part of the sadness that we feel? Right. Is, is the darkness really nourishing? How can we find that out? How can we reach out for the nourishment of the dark? These are what I am hoping to put in your trick-or-treat bag. And uh, let us, as we move into these next six weeks, um, explore more about the dark and about light. All right. And it's All right. close the time up here, Susan. And there's one thing I did want to mention, that one thing we had in common was, though I didn't have, as a child, the telescope you mentioned, but I did used to do, I used to, my father was an amateur photographer, and I used to go outside and borrow sometimes quote-unquote borrow his camera. <laughs> and um, and I used to do like to do that thing where you did the open shutter and leave the camera on for a long time, and then the picture that would develop would be of the stars moving throughout the night, so they'd all have like streams or stream, you know, streamers behind them, like streaks, because it would show the movement of the stars, the rotation of the Earth. And I did this many times for school projects or just for my own interest, so I had very much interest in going out and looking at the night sky as well. Good night skies in many places. Take a look up there. It's a big universe. Green blessings, everybody. The medicine you need is right outside your door. And thank you for keeping the Main Street universe going, Daniel. Yes, with some future expansion coming. We lost a few hosts, uh, none of them for negative reasons, but we're going to bring in some new ones and some old ones are coming back. They are. I've talked to some of them already. Maybe a series of rotating once a month shows for some of them. Maybe some of them once a week is too much. But if we we can still fill the schedule up that way, you know, if we get enough of them, and can maybe even have more hosts than our 
you know, some of our uh, uh, other friends here. I say competitors, but they're, I'm friends with them. <laughs> but uh, especially Reverend Chuck over there at Pagan Tonight and Selena Fox and a few others. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Susan, as always. You are welcome. Green blessings. All right, everybody. You've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed on every Tuesday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And our topic, I guess for our topic next week, Susan, be continuing talking about darkness and light. So maybe I can give it a, like a show title like that. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, that's good. And I, by the way, love this time of the year. I, this is a very creative time of the year for me. Even the winter, there's something about going into it. I think it, it, it encourages going into your dream state a little bit. The wisdom of the dark half. And going into the internal quiet spaces to where it's just you and not the noise from the outside as much, maybe is one way to look at it. So I actually very much enjoy this time of year when it gets darker and a little colder. I know not everybody does, but <laughs> I've written some of my best songs or albums uh, just in spurts, just digging in deep and going deep and, you know, going inside in that, in that while in the womb, you know, <laughs> in the darkness. <laughs> Good. Let's explore this some more, because I think it is indeed a deep and a nourishing topic. Okay. Thank Alrighty. you once again, and everybody, thank you for joining us. Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Have a great evening. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Let's go.
Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. <laughs> 